bless him tonight as he, as he brings your scripture and your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Gareth, and good evening, everyone. Um, it is my great pleasure tonight to have a look at possibly one of the best-known stories in scripture, the account where David encounters Goliath. And it's a great story, and there are many lessons that we could draw from it, whether it's the faith of the young man David or, or the might of the giant enemy Goliath, or, or maybe it's just the, the fear that seemed to paralyze the Israelite army. There are lots of lessons that we could legitimately take from a passage like 1 Samuel 17. But in some ways, our familiarity with a story like this, certainly I find in myself it almost dulls my openness to learn new things. We, we sort of assume that, oh yeah, we oh, David and Goliath, right, okay, here we go. Uh, this, we know how this story ends and it all works out well and we probably can figure out what the sermon is going to be like um, before it even starts. And so tonight, I really hope that tonight is more like an episode of a classic rerun of Friends, which is funnier every time you watch it. There's, we learn something new about a new character or whether it's just something that we hadn't noticed before or even if you know the jokes that are coming, they seem to have even more impact because you know they're coming, but they're still funny. And so I hope tonight is more like a classic rerun of Friends than it feels like eating last night's leftovers because this is still God's living, breathing word. If you want to turn to 1 Samuel 17 in the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 288. But because in some ways of our familiarity with this passage, I'm actually not going to read all 58 verses. You'll be glad to hear. So let me quickly summarize the story so far. Last week, we, uh, two weeks ago, sorry, we learned that God had anointed a new king, a young guy called David. Now that is fine, but it was problematic because there was already a king on the throne, a guy called Saul. Turns out he wasn't doing a very good job, so God anoints someone else. That's controversial in and of itself uh, because a prophet called Samuel does that job for God. But Samuel goes to a family uh, whose dad is called Jesse. Jesse has eight sons and David is the youngest, yet he is the one who is chosen by God to be the next king. So that's kind of going on in the background. We have this battle going on that we enter into in 1 Samuel 17, where we have the Philistines lining up against the Israelites. And this is a pretty big battle that's been going on for a while. The Philistines have one cracker of a fighter called Goliath. Uh, we'll learn more about him in a second. But basically, he comes out and stands at the battle line and says, right, Israelites, come on, let's bring it. Uh, you send one of your guys, fight me. Let's turn this battle of two armies into a one-on-one duel. Whoever comes out on top is the overall winner, and we'll all go home happy. And it seems that actually this is going on for a long time, so long, and it's going on for a long time because the Israelites are totally stunned with fear. They can't cope with this. Now, David, as a bit of a sideline, has basically spent most of this battle at home tending his father's sheep. Every now and again, he joins the battle, but only to come and bring supplies for his brothers. And so one day he's there doing exactly that, and he happens to see Goliath coming out and taunting the Israelites. And so he starts to ask around, what's going on here, lads? What's, what's, what's the deal? This guy seems to suggest if one of us go and beat him, then that's the war over. Why are we all standing here? And so he comes with this kind of attitude. His brother overhears him, gives him an earful. As someone else overhears him, thinks that he's got a good idea, takes David to see Saul, who's the king. Saul says, this isn't going to work, but go on ahead. If you're willing to sacrifice yourself, then that's fine by me. David goes out, meets Goliath. Saul tries to give him all of his armor and his weapons, and David says, no, I'm too small. I can't handle any of this. Just give me a, a couple of stones and a sling. I'm a, well, I'm a good shepherd. I've fought off lions. I have fought off bears. Goliath will just be another beast that I have defeated. And so he walks out into the battlefield, uh, slings a stone, smacks Goliath in the forehead. Goliath falls to the ground. 
and the war, certainly the battle, is won. The story goes on. David doesn't only just leave Goliath there. He chops his head off and the, the Israelites surge forward and basically destroy the Philistines. David comes back into Jerusalem with Goliath's head and returns the hero. And it seems like we know this story inside out. Um, it's not only because I've been preparing for this that I'm able to tell it like that. We generally know the story, good versus evil. It's a kind of classic movie story. But actually what's going on here is I think we need to learn something very significant. And the main difference that I can see between David and the Israelites is the perspective that David had on the situation. And I think this has been wonderfully demonstrated by an animation that has been put together which shows this whole story. And so rather than me reading through all 58 verses, let's watch this and see what we can learn about the perspective that David had aside from the Israelites. Only the impossible with God. I see differently. I see how to do the impossible.
isn't it amazing what a new idea of a passage of scripture that we know so well we see it in a new light and somehow we learn so much and i think that animation brilliantly highlights the difference in perspective that david had compared to the israelites and that's what we want what i want to compare tonight as we look at this as we look at this passage and so please do have 1 samuel 17 open um, i will be referring to certain verses as we go through but the two perspectives that we're going to have a look at I have titled, firstly, the human perspective that the Israelite army had, and then we will look later at the godly perspective that David seemed to have. And so let's start with the human perspective. And this is very simple. One of the main reasons the Israelites were stuck in fear was the fact that Goliath was big. And so he was a big guy. Let's look at verses 4 to 7 just to see exactly what Scripture tells us about Goliath. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is nearly 60 kilos. On his legs, were, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, again, about seven kilos. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And so Goliath was massive. Okay, if we look at the, at the bare facts of it, he's nine feet tall, which is taller than most. Uh, he's got a bronze helmet, a whole coat of armor basically made of bronze. Not only is, does he look intimidating, there's a guy whose job it is, is to carry his shield in front of him. So Goliath means business. And not only does he look like he means business, as I said earlier, he comes out and taunts the Israelites trying to turn this battle against two armies into a one-on-one duel. And so the Israelites are properly terrified. And we see this in verses 10 and 11, where we see, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And we can totally understand this. I mean, if you put me in that situation, I would be terrified. That would be the very least I would be. And so we can totally understand that when the Israelites looked at their enemy, their enemy looked totally, totally undefeatable when they saw it through their own human eyes. And then David, the supposed hero of the story, turns up. But from a human perspective, David was nothing special. There was nothing significant about David from a human perspective. As he turned up on the battlefield that day, there was nothing about his physical stature where the rest of the Israelites, oh, thank goodness, you're eight and a half feet tall, that'll do, go and get him. There was nothing about the way he looked, his fighting experience, anything about himself that put confidence from the Israelite army in him. And so David shows up and can't really believe what's going on. He starts to ask around to see what's happening in the battle. He hears that whoever defeats this guy, Goliath, will get huge rewards from the king. Not only that, the battle will be over. And so he basically says, okay, so what are we doing about that? What's going on? Surely one of us can go and get him. Um, And then in steps Eliab, David's oldest brother. He overhears David mouthing off on the battlefield. And we need to remember the context that their relationship might have been in. So two weeks ago, not in biblical times, in our times, two weeks ago, David, our David, David Dunlop, not King David. It's very confusing. Some people say it's the same as it's not. Um, Two weeks ago, we saw that God overlooked Eliab. So Samuel presented Eliab to God and said, okay, is this the future king? And God said, no. And we went through all of the other brothers until God said, okay, David is the one. Now, now I've got an older brother and we're competitive. 
but, but that's taking it another level. For God to say, no, I don't want any of you. I pick the youngest. I pick the most insignificant in the family because none of the rest of you are good enough. I mean, that's going to create some tension. And so when David turns up on the battlefield, Eliab says, right, I've had it with you. Verse 28, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Eliab totally has a go at David, asks him why he even bothered to come here. His only thing, the only thing he's good enough to do is to watch a few sheep in the desert, not even a whole flock of sheep, just a few in the desert. And by the way, you're not even doing that right because you're standing here. What are you bringing to this whole scenario? You are a waste of space is basically what Eliab is saying. David then gets taken to Saul, who seems to have a fairly similar perception of David. And in verse 33, we hear Saul tell David, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. See, again, David is told on two occasions, you are too young and you are too insignificant to make a difference. You are too young and you're too insignificant. And on the surface, those criticisms seem fairly significant. But actually, let's look at them individually, because I think they could have totally changed the course of human history if David had responded differently. Look again at Eliab. Eliab doesn't attack David and say, you're a scrawny little one, what are you doing here? It's got nothing to do with you, blah, blah, blah. He attacks the very core of who David is. He said, I know how wicked your heart is. Now, the reason that many of us know King David is because in the New Testament, we are told that he was a man after God's own heart. Whereas here, Eliab is saying, I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is. This is cutting right to the core of who David is. And whether it's fueled by jealousy or fueled by a lack of faith, or maybe it's fueled even by the enemy trying to strike David down before he gets to do what he is meant to do, whatever the motivation is, this could have changed the course of human history if David had left the battlefield this day with his tail between his legs going back to look after his sheep. And again with Saul, we see the words, you are not able to do this. Saul doesn't say to David, okay, David, yes, that's a fine idea. Um, maybe we'll put that in the list of maybes and see what else we can come up with. Um, Saul says, you are not able. You, you as a character, you as an individual are not able to fulfill this task. You're too young. You're too insignificant. And he gets shot down by the powers that be. And maybe you can understand that. Maybe you've been shot down in the past with an idea of how to do something differently, how to make some changes, how to start something new. Maybe you've been told, no, you're too young, you're too old, you've got too much passion, you're, you're too in, inexperienced. Whatever that reason might be, you may have been shot down by the powers that be and put back in your place. And I think in the church, in church world, we need to be really careful of this attitude. Because as we've seen here, if David had listened to Saul and said, yeah, you're probably right, Saul, I'm not able to do this, and left, where would we be today? I'm not sure that we, we certainly wouldn't be talking about David and Goliath. And so there, this would make huge changes. And so maybe if someone does suggest something new, a new way of doing things, a new style, a new, a new avenue to explore, a new way of connecting with our community, a new, a new way of teaching scripture, a new way of engaging with small groups, maybe we need to listen. Maybe it's a nudge from God to lean into what he is doing in the world. Now we need to accept that some of those ideas that we present are genuinely terrible. And so we need humility and we need grace when we present them. But 
we need to have the openness to say, here's an idea, what do you think? And if we, if we listen to the prompting of God, who knows how different our world could be, certainly our churches could be. And so there we have the human perspective. Goliath was big. The enemy looked indefeatable, if that's a word. And also, not only did, the, did Goliath look insurmountable, but actually David looked insignificant from a human perspective. But surely David was able to see these things. Surely David got to the battlefield that day, saw Goliath and thought, goodness, he's large. And so what was it about David that gave him the idea, that gave him the ability to think, no, this doesn't have to be this way. We can do it differently. What was it about his perspective that he was able to see these things, but he was able to take action? And so let's think about the godly perspective that David has. And I think we can learn a lot from David's first spoken words in this chapter. And so I think it shows that David was able to see the bigger picture of what is going on. And so from verse 26, um, it's on the screen as well. David's first spoken words of, of 1 Samuel 17 says, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David saw the enormity of the situation. Let's be frank, he saw the enormity of Goliath, but that didn't put him off. He was able to see that there was something bigger going on. This was part of a bigger picture that God was painting in the world. This battle wasn't all about the then and there. This was part of a bigger picture of what God had commanded the Israelite army to do, the people that he was trying to form them to become, the obedience that he was calling them to do. This is what part of the bigger picture was, that the Israelites couldn't see, but David could. And so when David heard Goliath's taunts, he understood that Goliath was actually taunting Israel's God. It wasn't a personal attack on the Israelite army. He was taunting Israel's God. And we can see this in verse 45 when, um, as David approaches Goliath, he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, David understood that by Goliath attacking the Israelite army, he was actually attacking Israel's God. And that's what offended him the most. That's what offended him the most. But David in this was able to see that this was all part of the bigger picture. It was all part This present situation was part of a bigger idea of what was going on. And so rather than focusing on the problem that was before him, David was able to decide, and it was a choice, an active choice. David was able to decide to focus on the promise God had given. So it wasn't the problem that was in front of him that took David's attention. David was confident in the promise God had given and how he was going to deliver his people in this situation. And the links that we can make to our modern day are absolutely obvious. And whatever it is that you're going through, whether it's a a change in circumstance, a a change in relationship, a change in family life, a change in career, whatever that change happens to be. And although that issue might seem huge, and I'm not here to downplay those kind of situations, but the reality is that it might be part of a bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, God, this in front of me, right in front of me, seeming to consume everything around me, this is too big for me to cope with. Maybe we need to step back. And when we do that, we may see that that's a time of testing, of growth, of renewal, of deepening our discipleship, whatever. But, but maybe we won't see that. Sometimes I think we're, we're almost sold this promise of, oh, this is terrible, yes, but just zoom out and you'll see that everything's okay. Sometimes we don't. 
Sometimes we don't see God's sovereign hand working all things for the good of those who love him. Sometimes it's just too difficult. The Israelites in this situation could not see it. And so it took a new person. It took a new set of eyes with fresh perspective to come in and say, look, you have forgotten the original promise and you're focusing on the problem. And so we've got to readdress the balance. And so maybe tonight some of us need to take that wisdom from someone else who can see our situation with fresh perspective and help us to see the destination that the path that we're on that seems to be blocked, we need to be reminded of the destination that we're heading to and how we can get around that. And so David saw that there might have been a bigger picture and that helped to define his source of strength. And so that's very much connected with the last point, but the Israelites very clearly drew their source of strength from the size of their army and the likelihood that they were going to win. But that doesn't seem to be the case with David. And we see it, as we said, in verse 45, which is a verse I want to sit on for a while. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, which sound pretty threatening, to be honest. Let's not play those down. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. See, David knew that physically he did not stand a chance against Goliath. But he also knew that he worshipped the God of the impossible. He worshipped the God who followed through on his promises. He worshipped the God who had a bigger picture going on that this present situation was part of. And that is where David drew his source of strength from. So can I encourage you, whatever that is coming against you tonight, know that your source of strength is in the name of the Lord Almighty. And so be it fear, be it doubt, be it the betrayal of someone close to you, be it the loss of a loved one, be it temptation that seems too much to deal with, be it career uncertainty, whatever that is that is coming against you, we as Christians, as children of God, can come against that in the name of the Lord Almighty. And that is no small thing. The Hebrew for, for the term the Lord Almighty is the fantastically poetic El Shaddai. El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. El Shaddai is here. And David knew that El Shaddai was there. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Well, I come against you in the name of El Shaddai. And there is nothing or no one greater than El Shaddai. And David knew that. And so with that truth in his heart, in his mind, in his mouth, David takes action. David goes for it against his foe. And let's read together from verse 48 to 54. So with this truth of you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, I come against you with El Shaddai, and so I'm going to take action. And David, in verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And for many of us, that is where we're familiar that the story ends. That's the nice Sunday school bit. But the story continues with a graphic portrayal of what happens next. So David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shireim road to Gath and Ekron. 
When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. You see, because we finish generally at verse 50 with the nice Sunday school bit, David threw the stone, Goliath hit the deck, and everyone went home and had a picnic. And it all seems very nice, and wasn't David great? But no, it goes much, much further than that. David decapitates Goliath. The Israelites surge forward is the word that Scripture uses. They surge forward, and they chase the Philistines back to where they came from. Dead bodies lay strewn all over the road. This is a graphic scene. This is a scene that offends most of us. This is a scene that, he, uh, that, that draws up huge questions about a God of love, about the appropriate behavior of God's people, about justice, about mercy, about love. All of those questions, good as they are, I am going to ignore. <laughs> not, because, not because I don't think they're important, but I think that if we spend too much time addressing those questions, we miss the impact that the truth can have. And I think that that is the understanding that David knew that El Shaddai was on their side. And that means David's understanding of El Shaddai was that El Shaddai would get the job done. El Shaddai would not leave a stone unturned. And that sounds callous. But let me explain why I think that's important. Because so often I fall into the trap of saying that I believe that God can change things. I, I might even pray for stuff along those lines and say, God, this is too big for me to handle. Can you sort this out? In the back of my mind, I probably don't even believe those words as they come out of my mouth. Or if I do, I'll maybe, you know, I'll leave that with you, God. But in the meantime, I'm going to make plan B over here so that if you don't come through, I'm still going to be okay. David doesn't do that. There is no plan B for David. It is El Shaddai and nothing else because nothing else is important. David knew that El Shaddai would get the job done. He knew that El Shaddai would not leave a stone unturned. He knew that El Shaddai would, would follow through on the promise that he made. There is no problem too big. There is no situation too hopeless that El Shaddai cannot make an impact in. And so as we look at that list that I hinted at earlier, whether it's fear or doubt, betrayal, selfishness, untruths spoken to you or in you about who you are or whose you are as a child of God, loss of a loved one, loss of a business, whatever that loss might look like, temptation that you can't, can't handle anymore, it seems, career uncertainty, whatever that list is, when El Shaddai turns up, things change. Things dramatically change. God doesn't do things by halves. It wasn't the case that Goliath was enough, and so everyone went home and the Philistines went home, and that was the end of it. No, God made sure that was the end of it by dealing with every single one of them. And yes, that is huge questions about a God of wrath versus a God of love and Old Testament versus New Testament, love versus wrath, mercy, all of that. Of course, I understand that. But let's not miss the truth that El Shaddai, when he turns up, stuff happens and things change for the great. And so whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that is coming against you tonight, know that when El Shaddai turns up, things happen. And things happen dramatically. And so as we continue over the next uh, period of Sunday evenings, looking at the life of David, I hope that we as individuals, as a church family, we grasp hold of this truth that when El Shaddai is involved, things happen. When El Shaddai is involved, we can totally trust that he will come through. And therefore our lives can be transformed. So as I finish, let's have a think about where we've been. So we started over here 
With Goliath was big, the human perspective that says our enemy is too big, too strong, too massive for us to cope with. And we as individuals are too insignificant to do anything about it. But yet, as we, as we journeyed towards a godly perspective that said, well, there's a bigger picture going on here that we are part of. And because of who you are, as El Shaddai, you will become our strength. Now I realize that I have just trivialized a whole lot of people's problems. And I in no way intend to do that. I realize that there are hearts that are breaking in this room. And I'm, I'm not here to say, well, wise up. El Shaddai's here, so calm down. I'm not saying that. That's not, that's not what I read in scripture. But we need, to, we need to wrestle with the reality that God is here. El Shaddai is on our side. And so what kind of impact should or will that make? as we leave this place and go into that life that could be filled with so much pain, that could be filled with so much hurt, what difference does El Shaddai make? Do we trust him enough to come through on his promises? I really hope that we do, or certainly we will learn to as we journey through the story of David. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that no matter how many times we read it, it is alive. And Lord, you have something new that you want to share with us. God, I pray for those in the room whose hearts are breaking. Father, who are going through situations that from a human perspective, the enemy seems too big, the obstruction is too large, and we feel so insignificant in the face of it. God, I pray that tonight you would help us all to open our eyes and see things with your perspective. 